Here we are in September 2016. This is an exalted off-topic podcast. The subject, the unconquered sun, and how he relates to the solar exalted as characters. To my left, I have... Peter. It's the two of us tonight on a nice, cool September evening. So, Peter, the unconquered sun. How has he come up in our game? And, well, not, not how has he... He's come up in our game. Not in person, but in topics of conversation, out and in the actual sessions. And as you and listeners might notice, it has irritated the shit out of me that people keep talking about the sun as if he matters to Exalted. Oh, yeah. It certainly did. So, for the purpose of this off-topic, let's talk about the Unconquered Sun and, as a, as a kind of follow-up, does he matter in Exalted? Spoiler alert, I don't think he does. Well, I think that there are some scenarios where he does matter, but it might not be our session specifically. But we'll see. Okay, so, who is the Unconquered Son? The Unconquered Son is Soul Invictus. Ignis Divine, if you want to get all pretentious. Back when the Primordials were building creation and putting the gods together, they needed one to be in charge of everything. So, using Lidger as kind of a baseline, I think, from what I've gleaned, they were like, boom, it's a sun. What's a sun? That's a sun. The the Ebon Dragon's like, you know what that is? Yeah? I'm the opposite of that. That's how great that thing is. Bickety-bam. So the Unconquered Sun's job is to be in charge of everyone else. He's supposed to embody everything about creation and, later on, about uh, free will and mortality that is great and terrible about righteousness. In classic 1st and 2nd edition style, he embodies the four virtues of creation. Uh, What are they? Valor, conviction, compassion, and temperance. Yep. So, he's all of these things at once, even when they contradict. Especially when they contradict. And he is perfect at keeping them all kind of in order and stuff. Uh, There's said that he also embodies a fifth conviction, or a fifth uh, virtue known as willpower, or free will, and that's... Inside his heart that keeps his forearms together, because he's a four-armed man. Yep. Whatever. Uh, before the Unconquered Son became the Unconquered Son, he was Ignis Divine, which was this enormous, angry, righteous, pissed-off dragon made of molten sunlight. Because in Exalted, the, you know, the, the, the why is a soap bubble round dilemma? Uh-huh. A soap bubble's round because it's the most energy-efficient shape. Well, being a Chinese dragon is the most energy-efficient shape for high-essence creatures. And of course, the Unconquered Sun being the best of the best of the best, that's his form. So, after the end of the Primordial War, when he exalted his solars and they won and they beat back the Titans, he took on the form of man and became the Unconquered Sun as a homage to them. Yep. We're going to skip over Primordial War. He had solars, solars beat the Titans, it happened, whatever. Not important. Uh, him and his merry band of usurpers usurped their horrible, angry Titan forefathers who were tyrants... And took over heaven and started playing the games of divinity. And this is probably where it's the most important to our conversations. The Unconquered Sun then turned to humanity, specifically the Exalted Host, specifically the solar the Solars. Uh, and in some cases they say he only said it to Queen Marilla, his solar lover, and was all like, I give you the creation ruling mandate. This mandate means that you guys are in charge of your own destiny. You have to deal with creation. You manage it. You rule it. It is Its entire fate is up to you. And I and my brethren will stay in you, Sean, out of your way. And we will not interfere. And we will not 
bother you as our progenitors did. The whole world is yours. We're out. And then the Unconquered Son and his brethren, Luna, the Maidens, and any other asshole, went to Yushan and began playing the games of Divinity and stopped taking an active part in the setting. This took place a trillion years before the usurpation even started. You know, hyperbolically speaking. So even before there was an usurpation, even before there was a solar deliberative, the Titans were beaten and were no longer a threat. They cannot escape their prison. They're done. A Talkthon decided that we were all that the Solars were all a bunch of psychopaths and left. He's gone. He's done. Gaia went into the wild to never come back again because she's looking for a bunch of bullshit. She's gone. Yep. The Unconquered Sun, the other Incarna, the gods, they went to Yushan. They're done. And then actual prehistory starts as normal. You get your solar deliberative, they rule everything, all the other egg salts kiss the boot. Eventually there's an usurpation where the cruel and horrible tyrannical solars are overthrown by their underlings who want to, you know, have their day in the sun and not be ruled by a cruel tyrant, just like the Primordials, because Exalted is a self-repeating epic. You get the Great Contagion, a bunch of bullshit, blah, 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 and you have modern Exalted now, Realm Year, R-Y-X, where X is where your fucking game starts all the time. The Empress has been gone for like five years. Whatever. And the solars are coming back. So, it's been forever since the Solars have been in charge. It's been forever since the Unconquered Sun's done anything. I think the last thing he did was turn his back on creation because the Solars were being cunts. Well, pretty much. Unless you say that, oh, maybe he had some, you know, part in the Solars coming back because, like, he changed his mind or something. But... Maybe, but it seems pretty explicit over three editions that that's yeah. not what it would be in his nature. Yeah. It seems very explicit that, that if the Unconquered Sun's going to take a look at creation again... It's going to be something you assholes do. You assholes being exalts or being protagonists in the story. Yeah. It's one of those setting pieces. So, you have a world bereft of the Unconquered Sun's judgment. You have a world that probably isn't really following the quote-unquote creation ruling mandate. Yep. So, what keeps popping up that, that gets my ire is people keep... And, and you phrased it really well in, in a little write-up we did before we had this episode. People consistently talk about making the Unconquered Sun look at creation in a way to defer to authority. Yeah. Well, Devon, why don't, you know, why doesn't the Unconquered Sun go and fix stuff? He can do everything. Exactly. Why doesn't the Unconquered Sun get off of his ass and fly on his Kamehameha fucking cloud and go solve all the world's problems? Because that's fucking bad storytelling, you fucking fuck. Jesus H. Christ, does it have to be spelled out? Why would the creators of Exalted create... An NPC like fucking Faerun's Elminster or Dritsto Wurden who would get up and solve all of your goddamn problems for you. Yeah, pretty much when Soul starts caring about the world again, either it's the end of the game because after that there's nothing left in the setting or there's something bigger going on and you've got some bigger things to worry about. Exactly, and Exalted's always had those fucking scale issues, too. Um, in first edition, Exalted's had a billion doomsdays, um, which primarily was Autochthonia, the Kukla, and the Death Lords. And all the Autochthonia stories except one were the Death Lords getting into Autochthonia and probably laying the Kukla free. Yeah. So that was first edition Exalted, where you couldn't have your, your Romance of the Three Kingdoms or your Game of Thrones among the Thousand Kingdoms in the East or whatever. It immediately ramped up to the world's going to end and you better start training, you know, montage style for the end of the world. Oh, White Wolf. 
Right. <laughs> this was this was right on the heels of the time of tumult for uh, old World of Darkness. Yep. And the second edition came along, and it looked like they were basically avoiding the ten billion fucking dooms. They they gave every splat kind of their time in the sun, and then some asshole invented the infernal exalt splat, and everything went tits up. All through first edition, they were teasing that the that at the same time the Empress went missing, the Ebon Dragon found a wife who's moral. And it was all like, oh, is it the Empress? But it could be a thousand things. It could be interesting. Ah, second edition's like, go fuck yourself. It's the Empress. <laughs> they bring in the Infernal Exalted. They're like, here's the Infernal Exalted. They're a pretty cool splat. And they were. They're actually very cool. Uh, and then it's like, oh, by the way, if the Infernal Exalted ever make any headway ever into any of the stuff written into their fucking book, there's a billion fucking apocalypses about to happen, and the Yosis get free and the game's over. Uh, why have you been spending all this time hanging out in the Mushroom Kingdom making deals with Bowser, you stupid asshole? Uh, the Ebon Dragon just got free right now. Yeah, well, you know, some people are into those, those sort of things, those bigger, I don't know, end of the world scenarios, I don't know. Some people are, but did we really need an entire, I think it was three entire actual books to detail how these eight or nine different apocalypses were going to happen and ruin the world? Couldn't someone just make one up on their own? Couldn't we have gotten a little more support for how to do the small kingdom-based kind of games or the, the kind of uh, Journey to the West style shit? Yeah, I guess not. Um... And yeah, even in Return of the Scarlet Empress, where the Empress is some sort of demon whore, and the world ends, and it's awful, even in there, they kill the Unconquered Sun in hand-to-hand combat as an afterthought. It happens in a cutscene where a bunch of Infernals just basically gang up on him and murder him. So that fun. So, that's the, that's the Thousand Dooms thing. So you'd think the Unconquered Sun at any point during any of those two editions would have just flown up and fixed it, but you'd be wrong, because that's not what his character is. The Unconquered Sun is a, is a, is a zero-state character. He doesn't add anything to the setting anymore. He exists to inform you about your characters. Okay. So, it just it's shocking that in Exalted, a game about taking your destiny into your hands, and, and a game that very much moves away from D&D, so much so that they had an advertising campaign called Level Up Your Game, where they actually put, in, they actually put this in books and in posters, where... It's time for you to stop being a big, stupid baby, and if you sent them your 3.0 or 3.5 D&D uh, books, they would send you exalted books. <laughs> this is how much they wanted to distance themselves from D&D, and the big distancing factor was distancing yourself from paladins and clerics lose their powers from their gods if, their god, if they get pissy at them. And Exalted's explicitly not that. You can piss off the Unconquered Sun all you want, and there's not fuck all he can do about it. He can't take away your exaltation. He can't stop you. You're in charge, bitch. You live here. But uh, a lot of a lot of plot lines you hear from people, uh, even 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 outside of our own game, even online or in chat rooms, is people talking about how they're gonna they're gonna go on this quest, this amazing adventure, this odyssey to to batter down the gates of Yushan and storm the Jade Pleasure Dome and confront the Unconquered Sun at the Games of Divinity. And shake him out of it. Just, just shake him out of it and make him come back and turn his attention to creation. And I only have to ask, why do people really want a boss that badly? Are we as gamers so fucking whipped and Stockholm Syndrome that even in our most lurid and insane power fantasies, we desperately desire management? <laughs> uh, we need the best quest give because he gives the best loot. Uh, exactly, right? <laughs> it's like a Warcraft paradigm. It's like, we need to go to the Unconquered Sun so we can give us fucking quests. 
so he can tell us what to do to make the world a better place. We don't want any moral ambiguity. We want Optimus Prime Jesus to tell us exactly what to fucking do with our game. Well, you know, he's the virtuous one. So if you want some ultimate authority there are virtuous, I guess there's no other place to go. Right? But doesn't that seem just so ridiculous? That, that you would plan out this entire character, this entire solar circle even, from, from what I've heard, people having these huge adventures to go to Yushan to free the sun uh, from, from himself because he's obsessed with the games of divinity. And it's like, you built this entire campaign, you built all these characters and you had all these role-playing experiences to hand off the spotlight to some other asshole who couldn't give a shit. <laughs> right? Like, like... It'd be like if you spent your entire Star Wars campaign being those assholes on the ship at the beginning of New Hope that get R2-D2 and 3PO to the planet to get Luke, a much more important character. <laughs> Why would you push yourself out of that spotlight intentionally? Well, you know, there's something to said, I think, uh, was that the author of Play Dirty, or I think that was that book, because to go, oh, we, they had some nice session about playing the red shirts, on Star Trek, you don't play the heroes that all have to survive. You play the guys going first, die, and you know, aren't guaranteed the you know way back on the ship. So you have some sort of way of losing here, and so on, so on. So maybe there's something to be said about that. But well, uh, like just playing red shirts who die in the mission first, show that it's serious, and then playing the characters. No, then the, you know you play the red shirts because then you, you know you have that thrill of maybe I won't survive. What's yeah. going on? I don't like Spock. I won't, you know, I'm the main character. I get that. That'd be fun. That, that's an interesting thing to do for games like that. Yeah. But that that assumes that at the end of the campaign, or at the end of the red shirt section, which I guess the Solars are red shirts in this kind of very loosely connected example, that kind of assumes that you're going to be the Unconquered Sun afterwards. But any game like that would almost certainly never have that. Yeah, pretty much. I think my problem is I want to analyze why, and not just in Exalted, in other games too, why are players so... There's a problem. There'll be a problem in the setting, like a fundamental issue, right? And that fundamental issue is that the authority figure isn't present, or is broken, or has lost power or something. Like, um, I think Faerun and Dragonlance even did this too, and when the meteor fell and shit went wrong, right? Or even in uh, Ravenloft. There's a whole module about restoring Aslan Rex to power, and it's an entire module you can play where you put this evil, horrible, lich-tyrant prick back on the throne. So, what is intrinsic to gamers, where this has become a common thread, where if you give them any source of authority that has fallen on hard times, and presumably is giving you the chance to take that authority for yourself and make the hard calls, they immediately pass it up. To get the authority back in place so the tyranny can be returned. I don't know. Maybe it's like, oh, this is the biggest you know, thing in the setting. Let's uh, you know interact with it and then just completely ignore it and do our own stuff. I could see that. But but couldn't, couldn't you do a thing where you talk to them or you interact with them or you gain knowledge from them and then you become the biggest thing in the setting? Why do people never aim for that? Why is it always putting the status quo back together, like an episode of Star Trek Voyager? Hmm. It's interesting. It's something that, 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 that I just keep seeing. People like to return the status quo in the books, like it's a nice little puzzle to put back together and make sure everything's in its place. Well, maybe it's the easier option. I mean, the status quo, you know stuff what the end goal is. I can see that. Versus if you want to 
do something else, that means you have to figure out what do you exactly want to do and plan for that, it's bigger, harder, and so on and so on. So maybe maybe you're saying it's decision fatigue? Maybe. Where it's like, because these, these roles that I talk about, Aslan Rex or, or Faerun and, and Kryn for Dragonlance, and even the Unconquered Sun and Exalted, hell, even a Tokthon, but he's not quite the same. Uh, it, it's always that these characters, if they were returned to power, would make the most difficult choices possible. You know, who? how does the sun decide who lives and dies and who gets to be in charge of creation when he comes back? <laughs> you know, do, does does the realm get to stick around? Do the solars get to be in charge? Who can say? Yep. You know, who deserves it? That, that's probably not a appealing series of decisions to make for your average player, you know. Not to say the average player is uncomplicated, but... I could definitely see that kind of beer and pretzel appeal to, well, just fix the status quo and then never have to worry about it again. Yeah. Or maybe you're worried that, oh, maybe he will return anyway, and then, you know, your guys will be judged based on your actions that you didn't, I don't know, go in and try to, I don't know, pry him away from the games or something, something, I don't know. That could be a thing, being afraid that if you strike out on your own and are independent, that they'll they'll their attention will eventually return and they'll punish you for it. Yeah. I could see that. But as far as Exalted goes, the Unconquered Sun is the most useless NPC to ever want to bring back into the setting. Like, I could see the fun of a dragon blooded game where you're from, you know, dragon blooded houses and you're dinosaurs and stuff, and you're like, you know who's a shitty empress? All these fucking people who are looking to replace the Empress. We should go on a quest to find the Empress and put her back into power. I can see that, because the Empress is a person. The Empress is approachable. If you go and find the Empress and she turns out she was in trouble and you put her back onto the throne, chances are you're getting a blowjob. Chances are you're getting some fucking reward, some sort of hierarchy. Your house becomes a new great house or something. Chances are the Empress is going to reward you for your patriotism or whatever. That seems a lot more reasonable and accessible than you've exalted as a solar. Everyone hates you. You're in charge of the world, technically. Let's go find the Unconquered Sun and poke him until he, he tells you what to do to make everything okay. Yeah. Because the Unconquered Sun, in, in the example I give, he's not supposed to be in charge. He's not meant to be the rule of the setting. Uh, circumstances didn't conspire against the Sun to make him no longer be in the position he's supposed to be in, like with the Empress. The Empress just disappeared a while ago, and bringing her back seems like a legitimate thing. It's it, it's a return to, it, it's a return to form that actually makes sense. Yeah. But don't don't try to bring the sun back to creation. He doesn't care. Yeah. Well, I guess you know if you return the Empress, then you know you start with that. There's still the whole world that you need to well interact with. And possibly fix and you know, do more stuff with. You have houses that are rebelling. Maybe Namon, you know, the Empress's eldest daughter. Maybe she's fucking pissed that the Empress is back, and she starts an actual civil war, and it's a nightmare. Yeah, or maybe you know people are envious of your you know newfound graces and so on, and so on. So you know, so the story just continues for that. Versus when the Conqueror's son comes back, he's the all-knowing deity, and all the all the gods start falling back into places. Then the setting just you know stops, basically. Yeah, oh, the Unconquered Sun's back from the Game of Divinities. Okay, heaven is no longer corrupt, there is no gold or bronze faction, there's just the Dereal Host, Solars aren't hunted to exterminate it anymore, uh, oh, the realm, that probably folds itself over once the sun takes a gander at it. Yeah. You know, uh, Juan Bangarok, that guy's fucking fired. Yep. Swan Dragon, let's bring him back in. You know, it just, all the dominoes fall apart. Oh, the Yozis were planning to get out, 
Better thunder and lightning all those Akuma to death yeah. and tell the Infernals to knock it off. Yeah, pretty much. Well, basically, yeah, when Sol Invictus, you know, starts killing back about the world, then, you know, the setting ends because there's not much left. Again, unless you deal with some other part of saying that's on his level, like, again, I don't know, another Valorian Crusade or the Ebon Dragon actually doing something yeah. outside of. Well, something dumb. Well, uh, especially because most people default the Unconquered Sun to this perfect morality figure that you could kind of, uh, that, that you could, what's the word I'm looking for? He's a morality figure that you can appeal to. Yeah. Well, yeah, appeal to authority. Yeah, he's an authority figure you appeal to. Because he's, he's people have turned him into this meme of being a perfect guy. The Unconquered Son isn't like that. The Unconquered Son has those virtues and he has this temperament to him. But the Unconquered Son is as fallible as any other character in the setting. Uh, in fact, him being, uh, you know, having all those virtues always colliding with each other makes him a little more vulnerable than you'd expect because he has that level of corruption. He has that potential of self-interest to conflict with his nature as being perfect. Yeah. The Unconquered Son, above all else, has free will. And he chooses to suppress what he knows is right and just to continue to play the games and turn a blind eye to very obvious things. In fact, if... And this is written with some of the Ink Monkey material from Second Edition, so don't don't take it with a grain of salt, but you can't beat the Unconquered Sun in a fight. If you go into a bare-knuckle brawl, Diclaves out, perfect circle of Dawn casts, Unconquered Sun fight, the Sun's going to win. He's going to kick the shit out of you. Yeah. He's perfect. The perfect warrior, the perfect everything. The only way to beat the Sun is to basically undermine his virtues and undermine his, his sort of... Uh, uh, there, there's, I, I want to say excellence, but there's a Greek word. It's like arete, you know, the, the kind of perfect potential. Because uh, as I said, for setting that the powers of the Congress Sun come from his virtues. Therefore, if he sacrifices some of his virtues to do something against them, he loses all this power, so he might not be unconquered anymore. He might not be all powerful. Exactly. And so on, and so on. The unconquered Sun is unconquered. He is Invictus <coughs> until you play with him a bit and just kind of manipulate him a bit that he's not and then you can just murder him yeah. and that's a really satisfying thing to do and i think there's there's an essay written about that i was reading that's actually fairly interesting where the best way to beat the unconquered son is to treat it like uh ozymandias and dr manhattan in watchmen yeah. where dr manhattan is completely in charge of everything you can't beat him you can't hurt him you can't stop him Every part of that story of all of Watchmen, Dr. Manhattan is never in any mortal danger, even once. The only time Adrian Veidt beats him is through social, by manipulating him, by, by, by hurting his feelings, pr prying at the relationships he has. And even there, at the end of Watchmen, where it's revealed that uh, Adrian Veidt had already done the bombing and had already solved the Cold War by making... Um, the squid monster out to be the bad guy or whatever. Like, like yeah. when when he when all the dominoes fall into place, Adrian Veidt beats Doctor Manhattan through revealing a t an inconvenient truth to him, through revealing a horrible fact that Doctor Manhattan had played a part in and stuff, and just kind of lays it all bare. And doing that to the sun's perfect. You do that to the unconquered sun and and kind of reveal that you've trapped him into doing something that would normally be against his nature, and it's broken a part of him. That's an excellent way to kill someone. By, by, you know, defiling what they stand for. Yeah, plus, you know, with Uncle Sun, you know he has those virtues and he can plan for it. So we can gather up everything, prepare it for him, and then, you know, strike it out whatever mm. you all the time you choose. Because, you know, he doesn't care, so he won't be preparing to fight you. 
you'll be the one you know make the strikes. Exactly. And the Uncovered Son is, by by setting standards, a fairly righteous person. But righteousness is never an indicator of good. Righteous just means he embodies all the good and bad of a zealot, and he kind of catalyzes that in people. He turns people into zealots. So he could be playing the games of divinity, and you could break in with your big speech to make him turn his eyes back to creation, and he could look at you and ignite you with a gaze, and you're dead. <laughs> he, you know, suppress compassion or whatever, and just be like, fuck this guy. Just because you're interrupting his game. He, he has that free will to make those mistakes and to act against what he is. He's not a robot. He's not this, this kind of idealized Optimus Prime figure. Yeah. So, with this in mind, this kind of point we've belabored and kicked in where the son himself is not the appeal to authority, the ultimate victor that you want to be in charge of the setting or, or, or some sort of quest giver or D&D style god you want to bring in, what is the Unconquered Son good for? Sure. All right, we're back. So I think the last question was, what is the Unconquered Son good for in Exalted? Mm, well, do you mean in the meta sense, what, what is good in the game, or what is, his, what is he good for in the settings? To clarify, what value does the Unconquered Son provide to a game with people playing in a DM? And play? uh, maybe even specifically for Solars, because he's their patron. What good is he to them? Where can he be used that enhances a game instead of making the game fall into his story? Hmm. Well, I guess, you know, if you want to make a story like that, it could be a, about, as I said, you know, making the soul care about, but again, the end goal or the overarching theme of some setting, perhaps. Either players becoming, you know, the most righteous things out there, overcoming their great curse and becoming worthy of the sun carrying up again or I don't know maybe something like uh, exigents from some gods uh, that are the vindicators of the game want to follow through their uh, goal of breaking the game's divinity because they think that the uncovered sun has a hold well the games have a hold on the uncovered sun Therefore, if you break the games, then everything will be better. So, I see that, you know, Son Victus as the end goal of a campaign would be a decent choice, if that's the games of... I, I kind of reject that game, though. It has the same problem. Even if you go through the whole thing and make, you know, the Exalted worthy and, and of the Unconquered Sun coming back to creation and looking at them, that, that again, is just propping up an entire game so someone else can take the spotlight. What what does the Unconquered Sun provide to a group playing Solars that, I guess, specifically isn't that sort of thing? Specifically isn't him, his attention on creation being necessary? Because for the majority of Exalted's history, his attention wasn't necessary in the setting. His attention only mattered when he rebelled against the Titans. Afterwards, he was done. So if you didn't need his attention after the war for all the solar deliberative, for all of the usurpation, for all of the uh, apocalypses, and for all of up till now, I, I don't think he'd be needed afterwards either. He's like the Yosis. The Yosis are in prison and can never escape. And that informs you of their place in the setting. They're not villains looking to come back as a doom. They're wreckage. They're, they're the remnants of a plot point. You go there to gawk at something you did in your first life. 
The Unconquered Son is very similar. Encountering the Unconquered Son should embody something along the lines of meeting someone who once mattered, but doesn't anymore, and won't ever really matter. And through that lens, what is there to gain from him in a game? To give you an example of what I'm thinking, I would think of something important for the Unconquered Son would be, um, supposedly, listeners, whenever a Zenith is exalted by the Sun... He gives them a personal message. He turns his attention to them and te- to tell them something. So you can include the Unconquered Son in a positive way in a game by, if a character is playing a Zenith, by giving them a personal message that's a plot thread. Yep. You know, maybe not something direct as, go kill these eight bears and bring me their spines, but being all like, you're a Zenith, you're a priest, go out and bring your balance of righteousness to the world, um, you know, go to the West and blah, blah, blah. Yep. Well, it's, you know, the obviously falls into being the quest giver or at least, you know, putting some team into the game of like say we want to make have a game about blah, therefore say the Uncle Sun wills it, want the Zenith to know, forward the party I can see that. I think it's a very it's a much lighter touch than the, the first example we gave. Oh, it's where good. it's like there's you know, say it's like, you know, there's something in the West. Go to the West to find your uh, to find your destiny. And say the Zenith chooses never to do it. Well, then it doesn't matter. It's fine. It's not like the whole game's thrusted around that. But if they do, and there is something there, maybe it's like, you know, the Lintha have, have started to rise up and through the Zenith interacting there and doing his or her thing, they end up becoming like some sort of god king of the West just by dint of getting involved with these wars with the Lintha. Then there you go. There's your hook. The Unconquered Sun helped yeah. by being like, I know what where you'd be best. And if you go there, you'll find where you'll flourish. It's definitely a good starting point for a campaign or, again, setting some mood for what sort of game you want to be, you know, talking about with the players and you can have this, you know, nice start to it, I guess. Yeah, either a player brings it up to be like, GM, this is my vision I got from the sun. Yeah. Or the GM springs on someone. Or both of them come together and be like, I want to have something special from the sun. Yeah. And you can have that. Well, like, pretty much uh, what, you know, Arsenal has, which basically... The game we've been playing up to now just made you know more formal. Like, oh, go forth and make the world your own. Yeah, well, that's that's just solars. That's no. just what their kind of point yeah. is. Yeah. Um, what else could soul be used for? Well, again, those big world scenarios where there's a bigger doom ahead. I don't know. Say Ramiphius comes back. Second Baron. A Balorian Crusade. Yeah. yeah so sense. you use him to, I know, skip over all the. Prep in heaven and say, oh, okay, gods, now we have something bigger to, you know, deal with, stop with our shit, so we're doing something else now. So uh, using the sun to start a second primordial war, essentially. Yeah, yeah something on that scale, basically. In th- those settings, I think, you know, it might be justified not to have to deal with the bureaucracy of heaven, to deal with all the small stuff. Well, unless that's the thing you want to do. So, so do you envision him telling the PCs about it, or do you envision the sun taking over heaven again? Um, probably the, you know, things would escalate until either someone would notice again, or the players would maybe make him, you know, notice this again as a, well, some way, midway point in the setting. And then after that, you deal with a bigger, bigger, bigger thing. So you use them as a way to escalate away from the early essence kind of paradigm? Um, something like that. Basically, start the end game. So start starting at an end game. I could see that. I don't really agree with it. I don't. Well, yeah, of course. It's, because and it's not because it's a bad idea. It's just me personally. I, I really hate the thousand doom scenario. 
it's been so overplayed that it's become anaphylactically allergic to it. Well, yeah, definitely. If you play, you know, a couple of those, good enough. Second edition's ruined basically. Same with Old World of Darkness with the time of Tall. Yeah, not well, you know. If you're say newer place to it, you want to have your one or two. Definitely, I can see that. All right, so so as aside from an authority figure, which is where these examples have really derived from, what else is the sun good for? Yeah, well, I think the most players will be interacting in the setting with not necessarily sun, but the stuff he put in place, like the creation really mandate, where. yeah, your soul are going to reassert your place in the world by appealing to that authority, saying, "Oh, the sun gave me all this thing; I want it back," or rebelling against it, saying, "Oh, the sun doesn't care anymore, so we don't care about the sun. Do something about it." So again, that's more of a plot or starting point, sort of. That that does come up actually. The creation yeah. really mandate yeah. paradigm comes up a lot because, and it only really works one way. It only really yeah. works. Like, the, the whole argument for creation only mandate only really works when you have a bunch of solars trying to bully their way past something and screaming, we have a creation only mandate on our side, and they have the power to back up the kind of bully boy test. Yeah. You'll never really have a dragon-blooded or, like, even a sidereal being like, whoa, whoa, the cre-, like, they'll never tell a solar you're not allowed to do this because the creation only mandate is invalid. They'll say you're never allowed to, you're not allowed to do this because we're going to kill you. Yeah. So, the creation really mandate as a... It's almost become mimetic, I think, at this point. Mm. Because it started as a way for for people to put into words when writing Exalted the kind of authority that the Exalts were given. Mm -hmm. And inevitably, you always have in a group of solars one solar who knows the words creation really mandate. Especially if you have sidereals in your group. It it just comes up inevitably. So, I, I don't really know where I'm going with that. Um, well, again, I guess that's just some plot that, you know, the players may use. We're going to Whitewall to all those gods that are ruling the city if we want it, and then we use this as our argument, and then we use, you know, our physical argument. Yeah, usually when you see people try to use the creation really mandate as an excuse, that's not their first thing. Their first thing is how much violence and power they can ravage someone with. Yeah. And they, they, they use the veneer of the creation really mandate. Yeah. Like a fucking mob boss. Yeah, pretty much. And I can't think of... Can, can we think of any legitimate ways yeah. where you will have a solar use the creation really mandate in a context that isn't them bullying someone? Hmm. Well, I've been thinking about this for a while. I think it started... I uh, was listening to some uh, session before I came in about... Uh, what was it? I think... Grandmother Bride was talking to the party while they were dealing with one banger rock and all the stuff. And she mentioned that, you know, all the old gods have broken the creation ruling mandate because the salts were around and so on. It's so just on. impossible not to. Yeah, so um, the idea I'd like to explore at some point would be how do we uh, sort of balance the creation ruling mandate with, say, you know, the virtues of the sun? That might be a uh, moral point say hey we haven't been around so it's kind of hard to enforce this but it's a law you directly put in place therefore we should be enforcing this so should we forgive those gods of all that have you know 
gonna stay while we're gone or should we punish them accordingly? So that's like a moral problem where deferring to the guy that actually put these laws in place and is the ultimate virtue. I think I have an answer to that because it's not up to the solars to punish people who break the creation really mandate. I think the, the natural response to that would be you have a bunch of gods, right? Mm-hmm. And they start fucking with Earth and start ruining solar shit. And so in retaliation, the solars murder those gods. Yep. The creation romantic comes into play when Yushan's like, hey, you killed some of our employees. And the solars are like, they were messing with us. Creation ruling mandate. You have no authority here. I don't think it, it comes down to an actual enforcing like a judge sort of thing. I don't think the solars are meant to like, I know they're law givers, but I don't think they're law enforcers in that regard. I don't think it's up to them to go hunt down every single god that in the past has broken the mandate. I think their purview is go out in creation, find gods that are abusing mortals like flagrantly, and then hurting them and punishing them. And it's okay to punish them. Heaven's not going to really legitimately try to retaliate because that's what the creation ruling mandate is. Now, unofficially, you know, they'll have friends and allies who are going to try and put the screws on you. But when you end up killing them too, like... It's not like if you butcher your way through a bunch of corrupt gods that Yushan's going to, like, arrest you and try to put you to trial. Because if they tried that, they don't have the authority to. No one has the authority to do that to the Aesops. The only authority Yushan has is over the Sidereans. Mm-hmm. I think uh, Lingas, the thing about one of the creators talking about this, that basically in Yushan the laws are only enforced as much as the people can enforce them themselves, basically. Or have enough bribes to do it. So if it's some sort of low-level exalts that are causing some mess, sure you can try to put it on and you know bring the law to them because you can. If you can like you know, get away with it, yeah, get away with it. Which I think is the key word here: get away with it. Because yeah. when the solar deliberative was in power, if some beginning solars were causing problems, heaven wouldn't have done anything to them. They would have gone to the deliberative and be like, "Can you guys rein these assholes in?" Yeah. And Deliberative said, no, well, that was the end of it. <laughs> Same thing now, just because the Solars are scattered about and, you know, doing their own thing. If, if a Solar cuts his way through a bunch of Yushan people, Yushan's not going to contact the Deliberative that doesn't exist. They're going to send people to be like, can you stop being an asshole? And if they say no, then off the books, they're going to try and kill this guy because he's a jerk. Well, I guess they can send the Sidereals and the you know, Exigents and stuff like that. Exactly. They'll send people to deal with them. Yeah. But it won't be, like, official. It'll be, these guys are assholes. Deal with them. Yeah. So, I guess bringing that back to creation yeah. ruling mandates... Well, again, I guess you could use that um, the other way around. Say, hey, you know, I know you've broken the law, but say, if you work for me, I'll give you a pardon because I'm the solar and... This law applies to me, therefore, something, something. Maybe. Yeah, that's less of a law, though, and that's more of... Privilege, I guess? I'm a solar. If anyone ever fucks with you, I'll ruin their lives. It, it, it's, it's an appeal to power, which is a yeah. lot of what Exalted is. Yeah. Um, people who have power use it to change the world, and the, the major thrust of Exalted is dealing with the consequences of your power. So, yeah, you know, piss off enough gods and they'll try to gank you. They're not going to try and use legal stuff to get you. They're just going to try and murder you or, or attack your family or do something like that. Yeah. So I think the main usefulness from what we've talked about with the creation ruling mandate is that at the end of the day, 
it's a reason why you don't have the D&D scenario. You don't have angels coming down from on high punishing you for, get, for, for going off the rails of the adventure. Yeah. You, you don't have a plot T-Rex trying to get you back on track onto the rails. Yeah. It's all up to you. It's your setting. Do with us, please, I guess. Right? Well, we're talking setting agnostic. Well, uh, yeah, I'm talking exalted through the creature demanded, you know, as a celestial exalts. Do whatever you want with the creation, yeah. and yeah, yeah, no, okay, I, I misunderstood. No, exactly. Yeah. I think I think the creation, yeah, the creation ruling mandate is kind of a just, just from talking about Probably it, a more setting piece rather than something. It seems to be a manifestation of the of the the game direction of you're responsible for your own actions. Yeah. No one else is responsible for you, and that's the way people should look at it when they when they try to incorporate those three words. Into their fucking stuff. Yeah. Like the Wanderer screaming it first chance he gets because by mistake you taught him that phrase. Or someone uh, did. So bad. Alright, so the Sun S through the creation ruling mandate, that's kind of what that is. It's, it's a way to say, even even the creation ruling mandate is a way to say the Unconquered Sun is not your boss and will not give you quests. So, yeah. I think the only way we haven't talked about the Sun is a mentor. Yep. Yeah. So any thoughts on that? Um... Well, it's kind of hard for him to be a mentor figure if he doesn't interact with the players. I think that's a big problem there. But then again, if he was to appear every now and then for mentoring, then that could be something interesting, say, during the calibration or something. He, he does have calibration where he doesn't play the games and you can meet him in person. Yeah. You're right. Hmm. But yeah, then, then, yeah, I'm not sure. I think the, the son as a mentor has some merit to it. Because, obviously, he wouldn't appear as himself. You could always have an NPC or, or a one-off character give the players advice. And just, in the back of your mind, not even telling the PCs, that was the same. And if it ever does come up that you encounter him, he might reveal that to you. Mm. Kind of like the, the garden in Supernatural, where you have the gardener. Or, um, shit. Basically any story where the, where the, the secret mentor is a secret. Um, what what possible advice could he give a character? What possible mentorship should he give them? I guess this would be more role play heavy games where where people actually bring their hands over ethics and morality, what it means to be a leader and not become a tyrant. Yeah. He could give people that kind of without even re- betraying the fact that he's a son. He could provide people with that kind of soul searching or, or questions mm-hmm. to ask themselves. Yeah, I guess uh, we most useful if you ask the players the right question, make them figure out the answer, I think that would be the most thematically exalted thing, rather than just give them the answers. And it'd be a very light touch, but then again, looking at it from another perspective, if you're going to use a, a sort of mentor figure to talk to you about your issues, why bother using the sun? Yeah. Why not use any, uh, literally any other NPC in the setting that would also give a similar thing? People emulate the Unconquered Sun in Yushan all the time. They strive to be like him. Why not have a god in Yushan that just likes these solars and watches them do the same thing and give them the same kind of advice in disguise? Well, is that technically what the Sidiras are supposed to be doing? They're supposed to be the advisors to the solars and so Yeah, solar. there's a great example right yeah. there. The Sidereals fit that yeah. rule perfectly. Yeah, I think that's perfect for them. Is there is there a scenario where the sun specifically, maybe not obviously, being a mentor enriches a scenario. Mm. What possible circumstance? That wouldn't just be good by having a wise old sidereal Pi May figure. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe if you're dealing with some you know, really 
high-end beings, something. I don't know. What would be useful? Right? You say like, I don't know, say, if you debate the morality of whether you should change a Tokaton into, reformat him into a different form, that he would no longer be the great maker, oh, let him die and become something else. Those are the big Okay, I can kind of see that. If, if your game has gone to such that kind of Fantastic Four style gonzo science fantasy scale yeah. where you're dealing with, where you personally are responsible for a talk von's health. Or, like, you know, you personally are responsible for one of the maidens, you know, might be dying. Or, like, oh, we've captured another Yozi or something. And you're all, like, you know, trying to figure out what to do. And, you know, the Unconquered Son talks to you about it, like Emperor Nero appearing as the peasants one day a year. Or, say, I don't know, you want to bring some of the other really, really high gods to court or judge over them. Say, oh, we've got. Grab Riza, the goddess of bureaucracy, and she's corrupt. Should we do something with her there, or what happens? Know. What happens? Yeah. Will someone else fill the power vacuum? Yeah, and be the devil you don't know. Yeah. Plus, you know, she's probably really old, really powerful. Like, you know, something to raise to that power level ever, or will this be a permanent hole in creation? Maybe something like. Um, okay, I could see where the sun is valuable then, because. You know, a normal god in Yushan isn't going to have an opinion on what to do with, say, the Neverborn. Yeah. Or even, even, even more, taking it a step down. You know, the Mask of Winters, the first Forsaken Lion. Yeah. It's hinted in third edition, and it's all but canonical in second edition. These are first stage solar ghosts. Yeah. Some of them are the original like core solar splats, like the Hierophant, who were like the holiest of the holies. Yeah. You know, figuring out. You know what to do with them, and not in the context of murder them, but in the context of you know maybe you've brought them low and you have them as a prisoner, and you're figuring out what what to do to resolve this issue, and getting a visitation from the son who knows these people because he used to be you know they, they used to be his champions. Yeah, so I guess if you'd be wanting to use him for his knowledge of the past and so on, that might be stuff you'd have a personal connection yeah, to because he's personally connected say... to that kind of shit. I don't know, maybe during the Dragon King, they yeah. have some personal connection. Maybe. I would think the gods the Dragon King, but uh, it's not wrong. Okay. The Dragon Kings could be a thing, too. I'm just, I'm trying to think of things that no one else would care about, or, or say, no one else has personal experience with. Or say, um, the Uncle-Gosan now has to deal with not only his exalted being there, but possibly could want to dethrone him eventually. But also you've got the Infernals and the Abyssals that are basically the copies of it in the hands of the Yosis and the Neverborn that are probably more likely to want to do something to him and therefore mess up the world even more. So maybe that scenario is like... Maybe. That you have to reconcile with us. Hey, you know, I've been dictated with I've ignored you, but, you know, let's not, you know, get them to your show. Let's not... Get them to an well, like having an infernal game visited by the sun in disguise and yeah. being like, you know, just 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 think it out okay. and, and being like, being like, you have no idea how much of a piece of shit Malpheus is. <laughs> oh, just maybe. because he gives you power doesn't mean you have you should have any loyalty to him because he has none to you. That would be really interesting to say had some infernal mind of the Ebon Dragon and they have that kind of color opposite and you know, trying to sway the exalt. Cool. Just try to let them know. It's like these people do not care about you. Yeah. They will. They will rip you apart the first chance they get. They hate you. Well, again, do you need another sound for that? You just use pretty much any god that's been around since. I I, I think 
I think it works only because the Yozis, the Neverborn, uh, and the Primordials are are like the parents of the sun. Like they're the sun used to be very close to all of them before it all went tits up. And like there, there's a god of Dragon Kings, so there's yeah. someone to care about Dragon Kings. But of anyone among the NPCs that were around during the Primordial War, I think the Unconquered Sun, with his endless amounts of compassion, will be the one person to actually care about their well-being. Even after yeah. turning them into the Yosis or turning them into the Neverborn, or, you know, banishing a talkathon to elsewhere, I think he would be the only one of those original people to actually, actually, legitimately care about them. Yeah, well, and that's an interesting paradigm. Yeah, that would be really interesting. Uh, again, the Uncle sounds with his uh, ultimate virtues. Exactly. And how he has to, or maybe wants to, obey them, and so on. I mean, you talk to any god in Yushan about the Titans, they'll be like, they're assholes. Don't deal with them. Like, they're not going to have a shred of sympathy for those pricks. Yeah. They're the worst. Same thing with the Neverborns. Like, oh, you mean those guys that exist in that black hole that are going to ruin the world? Fuck them. Yeah. Oh. So, so in the very specific scenario where sympathy for the devil is needed, I think that's where the Unconquered Sun might just kind of fit in. Pretty much. All right. Well, I guess you could also use him as a example of authority or something like that. Like I was reading the glories most high about the Sun, how he um, got captured by the primordials and and they had uh, one human yeah, as yeah, an yeah. exchange. So like, um, well, it's an interesting story to tell. I guess it will be only a story now. It's not pointing to those things. Yeah, I I also don't I don't know if I like that or not. I don't know. If I like any specifics about the Primordial War in that kind of vein, because they they really fuck it up a lot. Like mm. for reference, they used to say that there originally, like in first edition, there was a thing where the gods cannot hurt the Titans. Specifically, the gods can't pick up a knife and stab the Titans. That is their geas. And this has sort of mutated them and spun out of context into the gods must obey every order ever given to them by the Titans. And from that, you got a bunch of people being like, why don't the gods just, why don't the Titans just tell the gods to never exalt people? And it's like, oh, well, that's because the exaltations are autonomous drone hunter killer robots <laughs> that are physical objects that bond with, it gets fucking stupid. Yeah, yeah. The Unconquered Sun and the other gods are not under the absolute mind control of the Titans. They just aren't allowed to stab them. Yep. And I think it only applies to like third circle and above. Like first and second, first and second circle demons, they are they are in for a frighten. Like, so yeah, I think that came up in a conversation at some point. They mentioned that in what the Gunsart of Atonia setting, where the yes, actually, yeah, the Gunsart wasn't able to shoot through Autochthon. Yeah, in, in Guns. Listeners, in Gunstar Autochthonia, um, Autochthon is a ship world that you've all fled on because the you lost the Primordial War. And, uh, do you want me to pause? Yeah, either. Alright, I'll pause. We're back. Anyway, you lost the war, you fled in a Togthon, the Titans are free, and they have the Titan Exalts, which are basically Infernals. And the Unconquered Sun surrendered and became a villain. Uh, so in one scene, the Unconquered Sun, in his Daystar Chariot fighter ship, because this is a space setting for some reason, he is flying and he can't shoot a Togthon or rip into his body to enter. Because a Tokthon's body is his body, you know, even though it's a ship, he's a primordial. 
So first, the Infernals have to blow open a, to- a hole in Hawthorne's body for the sun to be able to walk in and start killing exalts and stuff. <laughs> um, because he can't actually hurt the flesh from Primordial. But that's it. He doesn't have any sort of mind control or anything else otherwise. Yeah. I think the mind control will be going too far. It makes it stupid. It yeah. makes all these assumptions that people make ridiculous. Yeah. But, again, the one about not hurting them, that's an interesting... Like, yeah, he can't hurt the Titans. Gotcha. Third Circle Demons and the actual physical Yozy bodies, if those ever come back. They're Yoten, I believe is the term. Cool. I think that means the Unconquered Sun can't fight the Divine Ministers of the Talkthon. Yeah, probably. I was also thinking, like, since in the game we're bringing back that incarnate, the Sixth Maiden and so on, she might also be having problems in Atokatonia itself, if, you know, that's the body of Atokaton and so on. Maybe. But, we'll see how All right, so so as a mentor goes, or this this seems to be a, a concept that actually does work, but only works in very specific scenarios. Anytime you want to use the Unconquered Sun, I think we've agreed... Anytime you're looking to use the Unconquered Sun, use someone else. Yeah. If it if it if it's not a huge scale type of thing, if it's not an alien thing, use a sidereal, use a wise god, use someone like an owl spirit. Or how about the completely otherworldly places, basically? Like I was reading the Ink Monkeys about how Sun came to be and his titles and so on. And you know about the places in you know, beyond the wild and so on, so where I think the Ankurasan was present at some point, was tested in you know, some cave at the end of the universe and so on, where the, all the rejected things were kept by the Abundant Dragon and something like that. And if you ever want to be dealing with those places, anything, then probably. Yeah, only... if you want to deal with knowledge only the Unconquered Sun knows, that yeah. would definitely be another thing, but for the most part, he is. He only works as a way to illuminate why the Solars are champions. Yeah. Which is, I don't think, is something we really went over. So, the Unconquered Sun, he, he from, a, from a narrative point of view, he's righteousness. Zealot righteousness. He tells every Solar, and specifically tells every Zenith, that their way is the correct way, as long as they are committed to it. As long as they absolutely believe what they're doing is right, then it is right. Because that's how morality works in creation. So you could have a hundred different solars and all of them have a different morality for what is right and wrong and what is what is correct and what is righteous and what is honorable. And they can all be right at the same time. The only decider for who is truly right in the end is who's stronger. Because they care enough about their vision to be the strongest of it. So that kind of informs what solars are like. They're, they're, they're not supposed to be paladins. Good lord, are they not supposed to be some sort of righteous do-gooder? They're supposed to be Gilgamesh. And Gilgamesh was a great king. An awesome king. But he was also really terrible in how awesome he was. It's that fucking Voldemort quote. Great things. Terrible things. But great. Because being the strongest gives them the absolution to be okay with what they do. It, it gives... Might makes right for Solars. Um, it, it's a little more abstract than that. We're not saying literally you have to be super strong to be a good solar. It's just if you really care about your ideals and if you really care about what you think is the right way the world should exist, the Unconquered Sun has your back with that. You pretty much have a piece of him in you and you're the ultimate authority. Yeah, you're the ultimate authority for your own morality. 
because you'll never be contravened or gainsayed by the sun. He will never come down and say you're wrong as long as you, when you're acting with the absolute certainty and sincerity, have chosen your path. As long, yeah, as long as you're absolutely sincere and you don't think you're doing wrong, you can do no wrong. You're always doing right. And that's an aspect of the sun. Yeah. Well, that sort of thing hasn't been emphasized enough uh, in our games, maybe or before the games. You should be mentioning that more so because we're dealing with, like, I guess a lot of more gray area. Of, oh, I know, the seawolf wanted to kill the children and uh, oh. so on. And that being bad because children. Yeah, all of that fucking bullshit. Or, yeah. or what does Anthony keep saying? Anthony keeps saying something and it drives me up the wall. It's like, it had to do with the children or something. I don't remember. Damn it, I don't remember. But. The, my wife? No. It's a great example, though, the, the children thing. If, if you listeners, you've listened to the wild uh, adventure they went on. Seawolf wants. Seawolf makes a mistake and a bunch of children are going to die. And he wants to just let it happen. Uh, the Wanderer loves everything, has a big bleeding heart, and sincerely wants to defend those children. It's going to fight Seawolf. Who's right? Well, who believes in it? Wanderer is absolutely convinced of his convictions. He absolutely will fight and kill Seawolf and everyone here to save those children. No matter if they're going to die anyway, he does not care. Seawolf... You really can't read whether Seawolf thinks anything he does is right or wrong, or whether he's just morally bankrupt. So, well, I think that he wanted to uphold the uh, you know diplomatic relationships and not intervene in this. So, I think he has some conviction in that. So, would we assume that Seawolf believed that the needs of the mission or the needs of the the diplomatic quest outweighed the needs of those three fucking orphans? I'd say so, yeah. Alright, well, from that perspective, then yeah, Seawolf also was right. Yes. Both of them were right. One wanted children dead, you know, to make sure that their mission to save the world continued. One wanted to throw everything to ashes just to save three insignificant lives, and both of them are correct. Uh, yeah, and that's what's making it interesting. Okay. Anything else about the sun that we haven't talked about? Mm, let's see... I guess um, what sort of uh, things is currently responsible for? Like, how those might relate to the game? Exigence. Yeah. I guess. Exigence is a good thing to bring up. Okay. Yeah. So, in 3rd edition, they brought up the concept of exigence. Exigence are a type of made-to-order egg salt. They're basically homebrew the egg salt. And the story behind them is there's a fire, like a Prometheus fire. And it's called the Fire of Exigence. And the Unconquered Sun's in charge of that shit. So people go to the sun, gods go to the sun, and they're like, I need a champion for reasons. And if the sun judges them worthy, he gives them a piece of that fire, and that fire consumes a part of them, you know, destroys a part of that god, sometimes completely if they're too weak, it just eats them up, and creates a new exaltation based off that god's portfolio. Um, there's an example in the third edition book for Straw Maiden Janna, or whatever her name is, and it's actually a very good story. It's, it's well done fiction. And the Unconquered Sun's in charge of this, and he manages it. So what more is there to say about this? What does that tell you about the sun or exigence? Because they haven't really shown up um, in the lore. They apparently stopped showing up after the usurpation happened. He, the exigence were still out there. It's just the sun stopped kind of giving out new fire. Well, I think that uh, for some very specific games, that might be um, just a gateway to 
getting those uh, exogen shots. Well, you have to go through the sun because he's the only one responsible for it. Therefore, you have to somehow get to the sun. So that may be one... Uh, you don't have to go to the sun, by the way. You just petition him. No. The, the, the okay. story for Strawman and Jaden, I don't mean to be nitpicky, mm-hmm. but this is actually a really good part of it. Um, the, the god takes her into the san- his sanctum, and his sanctum is just this giant wheat field in the middle of the night with a starry sky. And they never meet. They're just walking through different parts of the wheat field, and he, she only sees his outline and him talking. And the god at the very end brings her to the edge of the wheat field, and she looks out, and over this hill is this mountain. And at the very top of the mountain, you can see the lights of Yushan, like this kind of great big casino in the clouds. Okay. You know, it's all neon and bright. And the, 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 the fey folk are coming to wipe out this village. And the god says, that's you, Sean. I will never set foot there, but you might one day. And it's from you, Sean, that the highest of the holies has given me this gift, this way for the both of us to save our village. And he gets eaten up by the fire, and she becomes, you know, the exalt of the harvest or whatever. But you don't have to go to the sun. You just have to petition him. And if you petition him right, and he judges you worthy, he'll give you that fire. So it gives that... Uh goes to the question of how much involvement does the sun have with the beings on in the usual in the world. Because if you assume that he doesn't care about what's going on, then, you know, any petition, you know, falls somewhere in the pile. Maybe that's why the exigents haven't been showing up in the last little while. Yeah. I'm sure in four years when the exigent book actually comes out, we'll have more concrete information on the sun's relationship with them. But to speculate for now... Yeah. I think what it implies is that before the usurpation, the sun was fairly active and was granting these requests to gods, but they weren't probably that required. Like, why do you need a champion when the solar exalted are there, or the sidereals, or the lunars, or the dragon blooded? Well, maybe this place want... is lousy with. Well, you know, if you're dealing with a world that's what, ten times bigger than the Earth, and the uh, solars are three hundred of them around, so. You know, they deal with the big stuff. You need some smaller gods for some smaller stuff. Well, smaller exiles for some smaller yeah, stuff. Maybe. maybe. That could be a thing. But I, I have a feeling that exigents weren't as common in the, the first stage as people might think. And then when he turned his back on creation, he probably just stopped taking requests entirely and, and turned his attention to the games. And, boom, Hermie. And now, now that the solar results have come back, I think it's an it's an unstated thing that now the solars are back, the sun is of course paying attention. He knows the solars are coming back. I mean, he's been exalting a few solars every once in a while since the usurpation, you know, the ones that got away. But now all three hundred have just flooded back into creation. So he he knows something's changed. He's not an idiot. Well, you know, all the sick to zenith now that you have to personally tell what to do. I so so. Well yeah, exactly. And and before people talk about how it's a recording or some stupid nonsense, the Unconquered Sun legitimately gives every single Zenith a personalized message. And he legitimately is in charge of deciding who gets exalted. And that doesn't mean that, you know, you have to meet the Unconquered Sun's specifications. You just have to be like the Sun and he will exalt you. For the Unconquered Sun to exalt someone is the same to him as breathing is to us. It's natural. It just happens. It's involuntary. It's not something he could stop if he wanted to. It's a facet of him being alive. So he obviously knows the solars are back, and he obviously knows creation is in for a change. And I think with that knowledge, with with that kind of uh, uh, precedent being set, I think now he's looking at these requests. Because the world needs something. So I think now he's taking these requests for a hero or a champion as the world's fraying apart the edge and being like, yeah, okay, sure, why not? If, if you want to give unto yourself 
to give someone else a chance to be a champion, to be a hero, go for it. I could definitely see the sun me, uh, acquiescing to that for people who like, who really seem like they deserve it. Like Atlet, you know, his right hand man since the Primordial War, being like, "I need a champion. I need someone to do this for me. I'm going to hurt myself, but I, I want them to be able to put this right because I can't put it right." That's a huge amount of humility from someone like Atlat, and he'd give up some of his power. And Atlat's a power hungry monster, so there's there's humility baked into just asking the sun for exigence because. No matter what, it's going to hurt you personally. You can't have an exile without hurting yourself. Yeah. Well, it's definitely an interesting thing to explore and see what the exigent book gives us. Yeah. Whenever it comes. Up. Yeah, that, that will be interesting. But I, I think just from just from <coughs> what we've kind of been able to glean over the last few years, this is how it is. This is this is sort of the state of why exigents are showing back up now. Now the son's paying attention. He must be. It'd be cartoonishly. It'd just be cartoonish to think he'd be this indifferent when he knows that for the first time ever, solars are coming back. Yeah. And that the world is having its problems. Yeah. Um, so what else with his responsibilities? Um, well, so yeah. that's... Yeah, we just did exigence. You're right. Yeah. Um, well, I guess with the games of divinity that, you know, he's of the Rex who can play with them and he also forbids the exalts from attending. So that's sort of a forbidden fruit that uh, maybe nudging some player to, oh, go here, you can't do this. Let's break the law. Well, again, that might be also not coming up in every game, but... Well, okay, so so the Incarna, because I, I think we might do, be doing other episodes based yeah. on the other Incarna, but the Incarna in general, they play the game of divinities, and the games of divinity themselves are, they are not stated and exalted. Yeah. They don't describe what they are, merely that they're great... They don't deal with, like, individual mortal lives like chess pieces. That's bullshit. Yeah. Um, and they're addictive. And I don't think they're addictive because it's a function of the games that they're addictive. I just think that the games are so engrossing that people get addicted to them. You know, acting like there's some sort of honey trap and primordial stuff behind it is fucking stupid. Well, I think uh, someone was saying that the person may, like, play the game because that's the only thing in creation that doesn't immediately fall over and, you know, get conquered by him because this was created by the promoter. Now, place. I like that interpretation. The games of Divinity are something he can't, you know, soul invictus all over. Yep. He can actually lose at this, so it's a challenge and it's entertaining. I, I would prescribe to that theory yep. before I prescribe to some fucking stupid thing that it's a lotus-eating machine that makes you an addict. The idea that the Unconquered Son's addicted to the games of Divinity because of his own personal failings, which he has, because everyone in Exalted has personal flaws, is an intriguing aspect of his character. So, yeah, and as such, uh, it looks like, yeah, it's him and the other Incarnate. They play the games. Sometimes they allow gods to take a turn. Sometimes they allow Exalts to take a turn. It, it happens. But for the most part... Um, well, was there something saying, saying that, oh... Exiles cannot even attend the games? I don't think so. I don't think that's the case. Because there are examples in fiction where it has happened. Like, I think Sidereals, every once in a while, like, if they do good enough, one of the mains might invite them in for, for, you know, to see a round happen. Hell, they sell crystals that let you actually view rounds that have happened, and those are super addictive. Well, yeah, crystals, yeah, because that's not in the games, but I think I read somewhere in Yushan or the Games of the Divinity book that Exiles are forbidden from even attending no. I don't actually know. Um, I encourage any listeners who want to prove one of us wrong <laughs> to uh, investigate for themselves and get back to us. Yeah. 
Because I, I actually don't know about that. Um, it's not something I've really well, considered. It's probably like, you know, you can make your own decision that based on what game you want to be playing and how do the games divinity I would be like. interested in why. Yeah. Because if this if the games of Divinity book writes it, it would tell it would definitely tell you why. Because Jenna Mora never uh, is no fucking slouch for good fiction. Well, I would be guessing that yeah, you know, to make it harder to get it on Congress time because oh, if you can play the games of Divinity, hi son, you know, let's talk right now. Yeah, but you're not allowed in heaven unless uh, you have business there. There's actually a tomb outside the Jade Pleasure Dome uh, where a solar after the usurpation tried to storm heaven to get answers from the sun. And it is like a billion arrows in the ground and a bunch of broken uh, uh, celestial lions. Jeez. And they built a tomb over where he fell. That's nice. Yeah. Well, I guess that's telling them. But, okay, yeah. So the Games of Divinity, um, it, it humanizes the sun. It gives him more personality quirks that we would assign to an anthropomorphic ideal of the sun. Yeah. And it, it doesn't play him up as some sort of perfect being or some stupid nonsense. Yeah. Uh, what else does some do? Well, other than Katarina Doomsday, like the Kukla, I guess. Oh, yeah, he can... You know, the Unconquered Son's in charge of heaven. He's he's Zeus. Yeah. Or, well, no, Zeus is a terrible thing, because Zeus are basically what the Primordials were like. But he's 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 king of all highs, so yeah, he has he has a few buttons on Doomsday devices. By his nature, he'll never use them. Yeah. But they're there. Yeah. The Kukla being a good example, actually, to bring up. Uh, what else... Well, in theory, he's taxing God's income, blah, blah. That's like the boring stuff. Yeah, he, he bankrolls heaven with all the prayer that goes to him. Yeah, and they visit that, I guess. Um, what else? Well, I guess the last thing is the solar mice and the solar plague that he also hasn't been using since the usurpation. <laughs> uh, yeah, solar mice are interesting. I, I don't have... I, I, I didn't do a lot of reading on them. I, I know kind of the gist. They're angry... Vent- the Unconquered Sun's chosen animal is a little white field mouse. I think that's the most relevant part of this conversation about mice in the sun. Yeah. Of all the animals in creation, the eagle, the hawk, the bear, the tiger, the noble lion, the wolf. It's a little white field mouse. That's his animal. That's his buddy. Yep. Yeah. Well, I guess you could use them in some interesting ways in a study session or... We interested to see some Excel that you know keeps us pets out or listens to them for advice, like some Minsk from Baldur's Gate. <laughs> but or the that fucking mouse prince from uh, Prince Caspian. The um, um, fuck, what are they called? Those books. Narnia. Narnia. <laughs> Little eye gouging bastard. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I think that's generally what he's responsible for. No, yeah, yeah. His chosen animal is the mouse, and the mice in the sun are his like familiars, and they're amazing. Read up on them. Yeah, it's kind of interesting too. Because also, again, they've got their whole just the solar plague that he can unleash onto people that. What the hell is the solar plague? Okay, basically, the Nogan Sun gives the mice you know a go ahead, and they unleash the plague, which like. Everybody can contract, even the gods and the exalts, and the three basically like basically mortals. And well, eventually you die out of it. And well, what are the symptoms? I don't know. Something like the bubonic plague, I think. Okay, okay. If it's a so, bubonic plague al- allegory, go for well, it. Well, basically, yeah. And there's like two ways you can sort of deal with it. One is like you got some authority from the sun, like the zenith cast, or maybe even the mice, and like you know, plead them, hey, please, please, I'm sorry, you know. 
please, you know, let me live. And they might give you uh, some temporary stuff that, oh, as long as they're okay with you, it doesn't progress. Or you can go to the son himself and petition him to remove the plague, and he might give you a quest you know, to prove that you're worthy. Well, That's cool. <laughs> yeah. Actually, you know what? You bring up an excellent point we didn't bring up uh, about the Unconquered Sun. What if you piss him off? Which is a thing you can do, by the way. He he has a temper. Yeah. What happens when you get the sun fucking angry at you? And you've answered it. The fucking plague he has. He has a plague. Yeah. Like, like God with Moses, he has an Egypt-style apocalypse he can cast down on you when you fuck up. Yeah. He Old Testaments. Yeah. And only the righteous will survive. Yeah. Yeah, actually. So, yeah, don't get on the sun's bad side ever, because if you... Could you imagine being that, that party of PCs that somehow invokes the direct ire of the Unconquered Sun? That would be really interesting. Jeez, that would not be a fun thing. Yeah. That's an excellent way to use him, because you can do that with any god, really. Like, you can do any god's pissed at you, and... With any of those plots, the solution's obvious. Go to that god and kill them. But if you... If somehow your party transgresses so hard that the sun himself gets a frowny face on him, now that is a story. That is a quest where you have to to undo this. Well, yeah. So I guess then Sol becomes the ultimate boss or ultimate quest for you. Yeah, the sun from Super Mario would be like... Chasing you, yeah. I uh, I don't think it would be the ultimate boss of a campaign. I think because that like you could have that, but I more envision it as during the course of the campaign, you do something so bad that he gets mad and, and hits you with a uh, hits you with the uh, Moses plagues, and and then your kind of story is trying to fix that, being like, whoa, 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 dude, chill, please. chill the fuck out. You get like this when you're hungry. <laughs> well. Maybe one day. We fuck up enough. Alright, so him when he's angry, him when he's a mentor, him when he's just a dude. I think we've covered every facet of the sun there is. I think so. What else would be left? His relationship with Odin Incarnate? I don't know. Uh, What's the deal with him and Odin? I don't know. <laughs> he doesn't really have a relationship with the other Incarnate. Like, people are like, oh, the sun and the moon are lovers. And it's like, I guess, but Luna's also in love with Gaia. Or their lovers. I don't know if the actual emotion love comes into it, but I don't think it matters. I mean, it's it's a bunch of assholes who are in charge of heaven, so yeah. who cares what they think? Yeah. Who cares what they care about? <laughs> Fuck them. Yeah. Um, I think, I think we're wrapping up then. Yeah. So, all right, to bring it all around then, the Unconquered Son, he is pointless to creation... From the standpoint of him being a quest-giving NPC or an authority figure you should be relating to. That is a terrible use of Sol Invictus, the the you know, the the minister of Solar Exaltation. Uh, any other NPC in Exalted is a better use of those kinds of ideas than the Sun. He is aloof, he is not part of the setting, he has not been part of the setting since before the first age even happened. Um if you're an exigent, the Unconquered Sun doesn't matter because the Unconquered Sun didn't make you. He just gave permission to your patron to make you. So your patron is the guy you want to be worried about. If you're a solar, the Unconquered Sun's already washed his hands of you and said, do what you will with the whole cloth of law. It's your problem, not mine. 
If you're sidereal, then he matters as much as the other incarna. The only times the sun really comes up in a context that really matters is if you deal with things he cares about. And he is uniquely probably the only creature in creation that feels empathy and sympathy for the primordials and what's happened to them. So that would be his bag right there if you want to do a story about that. Furthermore, uh, he would only... The only other context he would really work in is being pissed off at you because you've transgressed in such a way that the sun broke away from not caring about creation to smite you yeah, with well, mice. That's an achievement. Right? Uh, but as far as anything else goes, no. He, he has no place in a contemporary exalted setting. If you're doing your empire building or if you're doing Journey to the West, if you're playing a game like Escaflown or, or doing the... Even if you're doing the Gurren Logan thing, he does not matter. The Yozis are more relevant to the setting, like the Third Circle Demons. The Death Lords are more relevant. But the Unconquered Sun, he is, he is the highest of the gods. He is Sol Invictus. He is the King of Heaven. He is so far above you and above earthly concerns that he may as well not even be there. So treat him like that in your games. Don't fall into the trap of thinking that if the sun came back, everything would be good. The sun was back. He was there through the whole first age up to the usurpation when he turned his back on creation. And guess what? The first age got so bad that all the solars got murdered. So uh, even him paying attention didn't do much for anyone. I'm pretty sure all the people being tortured and miserable by the solars up to the point where... They had to be all killed, and the sun was disgusted enough to turn his back. All those people being suffering never got any reprieve from the unconquered sun paying attention to creation. At most, they were used as a statistic or a straw to break the camel's back to make him stop caring. And the results of him not caring was him not doing anything anymore. So, there, so in your game, the unconquered sun is by no means any sort of win condition or victory. Because he has, hasn't done a goddamn thing since before there was a first aid. Anything else? Yeah, I think that's it. All right. Then this is Devin and Peter for an off-topic. Signing off. Our future depends powerfully on how well we understand this cosmos, in which we float like a float of dust in the morning sky. sky, sky, sky.